Welcome to this episode of KidTech. I am extremely pleased to be joined by David Kleeman from Dubbit. Um, David, welcome, first of all. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Um, I think a lot of our listeners will know you from your um, prolific writing about kids and kid tech and, and increasingly the metaverse uh, across um, Twitter um, and also all the, the, the work that you do with Dubbit. Um, but maybe you could speak perhaps a little bit more eloquently about your background and, and, and how you got here. I have ended up forging a unique spot for myself, I think, in the children's media world. I, I came into the, all of this thinking that I wanted to be a preschool teacher. And in the long run, it's good for kids that I never became a preschool teacher because I, I would have been just awful. I've seen good teachers and I wouldn't have been one. <laughs> but I went down several roads of children's media without going all the way. So um, I went far enough with academia to understand how to read and understand research. I've worked on various productions, but never found the project I felt I needed to make. I spent five and a half years at PBS learning how a network operates, uh, and then went and ran a competition to choose America's best children's television. And we couldn't keep the competition going for a long time because of the costs. But what we found was that re people really loved being brought together to talk about what makes good children's media, what we mean when we talk about excellence in children's media. And having a little bit of background in a lot of areas turned out to be very useful for facilitating those conversations, for being a connector of people and a connector of ideas. And that's what I've forged for myself over time. And I'm, I'm very lucky that Dubbit uh, understands the value in that of having someone who's out speaking and writing about the things that we learn from our, our research and from the, the games that we make and the apps and, and uh, are uh, going into the metaverse now and can use those um, not in a sales way, but, but, uh, but just to go out there and talk about what interesting things are happening with with children in media, technology, entertainment. I think you are one of my very favorite people to ask both about the history of the kids' media landscape, but also the future. Um, let's maybe start with the with the former. Um, when you sort of think about the last decade across kids' media and kids' content in general. Um, how do you how do you describe the changes in attitude to the kids audience that we have seen there are a couple things one is maybe a little longer term than 10 years but when in the time that i've been in this there's always been a very tense atmosphere or there was in the past a very tense atmosphere between educators, researchers, and the people who create content for kids. Uh, certainly when I first got in, there was a feeling that I don't want to bring in an educational advisor because all they're here to do is tell me no, or they mm -hmm. are going to try to do my job for me, and they don't understand how television is made, how media is made. Um, and that has changed. And, and simultaneously from the educators, it's I'm going to tell them what I know, and they're not going to listen at all. And over the past 10, 15 years, that has become so much better. I mean, Sesame Street certainly paved the way for a lot of it, but it took a long time for that to, to take. And then Blue's Clues and that. And now I think you'd be hard pressed to find a children's media venture, particularly in the preschool years, but, but even getting up into the uh, primary tween and teen years, 
that doesn't have some kind of advisor or consultant on how children grow and learn. And it's just become so much more important in an environment where kids have so much choice and have so many options to really understand at, at almost a day-to-day -day level what the emotions are that drive drive kids' choices around media, what they need from media, what they what they uh, how they relate to technology, what it means in their lives. So I think that's a, a huge thing, and and very much related to that, the other big change is control. That uh, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, pre-mobile media, you were still getting what a set of gatekeepers decided you were going to get, and it really didn't matter much. You know, I, I go back to my the days when I was working at PBS when I had someone at one of the local stations say, "We have Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. We don't need anything else." The understanding of the range of kids' needs, interests, capabilities when it comes to, to media has helped content creators to give them more, not just more options, but more control at a certain level as well. And the tools that are out there now with, with digital only add to that only. And, and that I think is, you know, as we'll get into it, where the metaverse really, really lies in that level of control and, uh, and participation. And do you think, I mean, you were describing sort of I suppose content creators and, and and the media landscape generally. I mean, would you say that those those trends and that sort of growth and awareness applies equally to the technology companies and and specifically the technology platforms that are also content platforms? Yeah, I I think what we are still working on uh, is using each platform to the best of its capabilities. There is still a lot of, uh, we've all, either we've always done it this way or um, uh, just trying, trying to uh, uh, force new platforms into behaving like, like the old ones. And I think as we have a generation coming into working on these new technology platforms that has gr that grew up with them that uh, has never known a time without mobile media they're much more attuned to the capacities of them and can can make that connection between the developmental needs and, and, and abilities and what the platform does best you know we, we went through a period where we had the term transmedia was, was very big for a while and transmedia i think no one really, uh, it, it never had a firm definition. And, and what that meant was that it could mean anything from, yes, I have a website to go with my TV program, to I have uh, different elements of my story, my world, my characters playing out in different ways on different, different platforms that make the best use of each of the technologies and that make the best use of how young people connect to those technologies. There may be no better example than SCAM from uh, NRK in Norway, the public broadcaster in Norway, who, uh, where the story played out over television, over YouTube, over text, over all these different platforms, so that young people were, the, the fans of it were really immersed in the world of Scam. It wasn't something they watched. It was something they, they lived alongside the, the characters. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you, you mentioned about 
that evolution from, I suppose, gatekeepers to, you know, a much more sort of empowered uh, approach to to users and creators, I suppose, and 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 like that instantly sort of makes me think of Roblox, you know, and uh, I mean, you know, Roblox is quite recent explosive growth has, has sort of been been very well documented. I mean, do you feel that their their IPO, you know, when they went public, did that really change people's perception about kids and digital media? And, and I suppose about like the the power of the kids audience as a force. Well, I think it came at a particularly interesting time. I mean, Roblox had been around for quite a while before the IPO and the IPO really timed out in some ways with, with the, the pandemic as well. And that the expression that we've been using during the pandemic is down on the corner, went up on the server, that all, all the things that kids used to do together in person uh, had to become digital when kids were not able to be face-to-face -face with each other. And that resulted in a couple of things. One was for parents who were uh, working from home and who had their kids at home, they started to spend more time looking at how their kids were using media. So instead of the, he's on that Roblox again, I can't, you know, he's been on for hours or, oh, he's been, she's been playing in Minecraft, you know, for two, three hours. What, can't, can't she go do something else? They started looking at it and saying, oh, wait a minute. He's not just playing games in Roblox. He's building games in Roblox mm -hmm. or he's connecting up with his friends and they're having conversations in the same way that they would have had them, you know, in the backseat of the car or at the playground after school, but they're having them while they're playing this game. Or for Minecraft, look at the complexity of what she's building. Look at the, the thought that's going into what's happening. So parents started to shift their attitude from the idea of, of screen time, a term I hate because screens bring us so many things, to looking at the content and the context of what their kids were doing. So that's one change. And I, th I think when content creators, when platform owners saw the, the amount of time kids were spending on platforms like Roblox and Minecraft, saw the complexity of the things they were doing, saw the hunger for new tools to, uh, to be able to do even more, that led them again to redouble their efforts with, with young people. Um, and so the, the IPO really represented a, a recognition that these platforms are becoming a core part of how we socialize, how we play, how we learn, and that there's so much more potential now that we've, uh, now that they've become developed for what they can become. Do you feel that young audiences are one of the key drivers for the development of the metaverse? They are, and I'm, I'm a little cautious about it. And, 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 I'm going to admit to something, which is that when I've been writing and speaking about the metaverse, I've been describing it in ways that are quite optimistic mm. and describing it in fairly specific ways, even though it's still emerging. And the reason I've been doing that is because if we don't create a, a positive vision of what it can become, it's very easy to as I was saying with transmedia, to just let it slide and become whatever anyone wants to talk about. There is a history going back to the early days of television and probably before, probably with radio as well, and of 
insisting at the beginning of a new technology that it's going to be great for kids. It's going to be great for kids learning. You've got to buy a television. There's going to be so much educational programming. You've got to get a color TV. Think, imagine your kids seeing the world in color. You have to get a computer because it's going to be so good for your children's learning. Every single development, you have to get cable, and, you know, even, even multi-channel cable. Every single development in technology gets pushed first at parents as being good for kids. And once there's significant penetration, then kids kind of fall by the wayside because they're not as uh, lucrative an audience as, as other audiences. Uh, and, and I feel like it, we... We are at the beginning of the metaverse. We have the potential to be more cautious about and be more, be more intentional, maybe cautious isn't the right word, but intentional about how we develop it as a platform, as a world, as a universe for young people so that it does not uh, become just marketing hype at the beginning followed by disappointment. And I mean, when you, look back over the history of the internet because I, I think that's that's such an interesting point right that that new technology first gets or certainly early on gets pushed to kids as being a tool of some sort right but 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 if you you know the way you were sort of describing the metaverse in in, in optimistic terms and and i often think as well of it as, as like you know how do we avoid the mistakes of internet past Right with with metaverse of the future. I mean, do you when when you think um, like, and I suppose particularly at, at, at the challenges that that Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and others have have sort of gone through over the last few years or so. And again, not not to sort of single them out, but just because they they tend to be involved in a lot of these things because of their sheer scale. Like, what are what are some of the other key areas that you think the metaverse needs to consider from a young audience perspective or 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 you know clear mistakes to avoid perhaps another way of thinking about it probably the biggest one for me is um, ip owners uh, content creators needing to give up a little bit of the control that they've always kept and you know it, mm. it, there's been for a long long time a, a feeling of don't mess with my content, uh, you know, discouraging of fan fiction, fan art, fan mm. adoption of, of things. And I think there's a much better understanding now that, that this is a valuable tool actually for promotion, for enriching fandom, for deepening fandom, that if you give right. up a little bit of control to your fans, uh, you know, as long as you keep an eye on, on what it is that they're doing and don't allow things that are, um, uh, degrade your brand, then it really allows for a much richer opportunity. I think you know the examples that that we've seen recently. There are over seventeen hundred Lego games on Roblox, not one of them created by Lego. Mm. In the first month after Squid Game was released, there were over we we uh, Dubit tracks. Uh, over 10 million Roblox games just to see what kinds of game, what types of games are rising and falling, what uh, mm -hmm. brands are already there on the platform. There were over 100,000 Squid Game games. Now, some of those would have mm -hmm. just been little you know, stubs that never went anywhere that someone, but or, or just, you know, a, a, mm -hmm. a framework that someone put up. But still, 100,000 people felt like 
I want to express my fandom on this platform for what I'm watching on the television. And Netflix in, in their most recent uh, earnings call said, this is okay with us. We're, you know, we're, we're accepting this as, uh, um, as helping our, helping uh, promote what we do. Mm. The other areas, I mean, obviously there cannot be a metaverse for kids without safety, privacy, security. Um, and, and that's something we have stumbled on in almost every platform that, that we've gone on to, uh, that we've expanded to. And, and uh, the metaverse is gonna be particularly challenging for that in that it is intentionally a global globally connecting service. It's global, it's mm. always on. And how you get agreement across all those, all those platforms, all those places, all those brands to participate in a, a safe, secure, privacy enhancing environment is, is gonna be gonna be very tough. When you, just the way you were talking about IPs there and, and, and you know, suggesting that IP owners need to be much more flexible. I mean, does what we are describing as the metaverse here, you know, represent fundamentally, I suppose, a more playful version of the future? You know, I mean, almost, almost the, like, you know, I mean, you and I and our various peers that have talked about the concept of digital play for years. But, but a lot of what you're describing seems to sort of broadly correspond to that definition. Would you agree? I, I, I very much hope so. Um, I think most people's experience with the concept of the metaverse right now comes from Ready Player One, which is just the opposite of that. It's the metaverse was created to escape a dystopian future to uh, avoid being in the real world. I'm very much hopeful that we will create it from a much more positive, playful perspective uh, where, and, and that it will connect up with the real world as well, that we won't use it to escape uh, anything in the world, but to, to connect in ways that are not necessarily possible in the real world, to build in ways that aren't necessarily possible, to collaborate across borders, across, across space. Um, and that, that you know, we're, we're seeing kids kickstart that now, uh, certainly through the pandemic. They, if they got, uh, if they, if there was something they wanted to do and there wasn't a tool available to do it, then they created the tool to do it. Maybe by combining different platforms. So I want, I'm going to play on Roblox, but I'm going to be hanging out on Discord so that I can be talking with my friends while I'm, while I'm doing it. Um, so that they are the ones who are showing us, and, and, and it's been a theme of mine well before now, that no matter how carefully you plan you, whatever it is that you're creating, kids will find a way to hack it to their particular needs. Uh, I've got a friend who's an app developer who created some of the original living books. And when he did uh, an app about two, three years ago, he found that kids were playing with it in a way he hadn't anticipated. And it was kind of breaking the, breaking the app. He took it to his engineer and, and the engineer said, well, I can, I can disable it. I can you know, say if they, what they were doing was tapping very fast instead of slowly. And he said, if I can make it so that if they tap three times too you know, fast, it just shuts down for five seconds. And, and my friend said, no, no, no. It, if that's the way they want to play with it, make something unique happen when they tap fast versus when they tap slow. So this idea of, of, of 
call and response. We call it fanatomy at Dubbit. The, the, uh, you know, how you engage in a conversation with your fans where you put out what you want to put out into the world and they come back and say, yeah, but wouldn't it be really cool if, and you can then say, yeah, I'll, I'll incorporate that. Or you can say, no, that doesn't really fit. But if you say, yeah, I'll incorporate that, you're creating a dialogue that goes back and forth and you're looking mm-hmm. at what it is, how it is that they want to engage and what it is that's driving their fandom. And I think that's the playful side of the metaverse is, is this idea of, of constantly uh, enriching fandom. And I mean, you know, Dubbit is, is quite literally, I think, putting, putting its money and, and investors' money where its mouth is on, on this topic. Um, you recently announced, uh, quote, the world's first live esports league in the metaverse. Um, and I, I think the details of this, or at least the details that have been revealed publicly are fascinating. Um, perhaps for the listeners, you can you can describe as much as you can sort of what Dovid is planning here. Sure, at, at, at the moment, the, the, you know, here, here's uh, the metaverse gaming league. It, this appeals to my old school soul. Uh, I describe it as being almost like Saturday morning television, but in the metaverse, in, in Roblox at the moment, it will be expanding mm-hmm. to other platforms as well. In that most esports, you gather to watch someone, a pro or an expert play a game. This is participatory esports. So you, it, it is at a specific time, which is why I think of it as being like Saturday morning TV. You have to be there or you miss it. And it's hosted by a DJ uh, or by a, an influencer who is there to kind of make sure everybody's having a good time and to uh, you know, build up the excitement and that. You meet in a particular game in Roblox and you can win Robux for playing the game or just for being there. But the idea is let's gather everyone in one place on a platform where they, where kids feel most comfortable and create a social gaming experience that that uh, feels exciting to them and that feels um, in the moment and, and and gives them something to to anticipate uh, both being there being there with friends and the possibility of of winning something. Do you think that um, the model of schedule content and schedule activities, you know, versus sort of effectively kind of an always on model are there um is one superior to the other or is it the novelty of change that's 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 a factor for kids i I think they're they're probably equal and both necessary that um we work with a model at Dubbit that we call emotional scheduling that has to do with having having looked at how kids media day or, or play day more broadly, because it's not all with media or technology goes. Um, there are ebbs and flows to their day that, that are built on the what they've been doing, what they're about to be doing, uh, time of day, whether it's a wind up or a wind down activity. Uh, and all these are proxies for their emotional state. And you can predict by time almost down to the platform and certainly the type of content what kids of different ages and uh, will be doing at, at particular times my, my favorite example is 
little kids in the morning knowing that the household is going crazy getting ready for work and at least pre-pandemic that they would be getting taken off to daycare to preschool to school and they need to stay out of the way of the craziness but they also um, want to want to be engaged in something but they will actively choose either broadcast tv where it's something that they probably know already or uh, short form videos to watch. They won't get into a game. They won't get into anything long form because they know they're going to be interrupted and they know that'll be frustrating. So that's an example of, of emotional scheduling. As part of that, you want something predictable in your day. You want to say, oh, I can look forward to Metaverse Gaming League. I can, I, you know, I know we're gonna, I'm gonna be meeting up with my friends tomorrow in this particular game. But you can also say, you know, right now I really just, you know, I, I, I want to dig into my hobby and that's not something I can schedule. That's, that's something where I just go and explore on my own. Um, right now, I just feel like I need something to, to calm me down right now. I, you know, it, it's that being in the moment, but also kids have always liked having something to, to look forward to something to anticipate. Mm. And do you think, um, like the role of events in the metaverse is sort of fascinating, right? Because it's 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 a paradigm that that clearly works, right? You know, be it be it sort of sports in some sense, right, or um, music or 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 anything else. And we've seen sort of many examples of this, but it also doesn't. It's not cannibalizing real world events, um, and and I'm curious, sort of how do you think forward about like the evolution of these kind of events over the next few years? I mean, do they become more social? Do they become, you know, almost like more of a brand or a franchise? Um, or, or, or do they stay as sort of like just a, a kind of a simpler um, model of players, friends a community being able to get together and, and and just have fun i think there there are a couple of things that we'll we'll be watching out for and one of them has to do with evolution of of bandwidth and technology of, uh, and how many people can be together in a space uh what the how do you create an actual feeling of being together more than just kind of being pasted into a, a scene to to watch something how do you participate right in the event itself. I'm really fascinated by, we know that special events work right now. We know that, mm. that millions of people will show up for a Travis Scott concert in, in virtual space for you know, it's little Nas X. What happens to the kinds of things that we used to do on a day-to-day -day basis that are mm. that same kind of gathering? So will there be movie theaters? in the metaverse? Will we gather to watch a film all together um, or will we still prefer to get up and go out of the house and, and go to a, a physical space? Will kids do their daily television watching uh, or video watching in the metaverse? Will, will uh, no, you've, we've seen some examples like Netflix watch party and, and things like that where the idea is to get a, a small number of people together. But what, what direction will companies like Nickelodeon or like Disney with Marvel uh, go in the future? Will, will we gather to watch, or will there be spaces in the metaverse that are like the, the Disney space or will it be more of a, 
uh, Marvel space? How how finely grained will the branding of video watching mm. spaces be? What will draw people to to watch in the metaverse? And then what will they do with it beyond that? How do you connect up your viewing experience with your interactive experience uh, around around a brand? And um, there are a huge number of companies that are all grappling with 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 many of those shifts that you mentioned and who appreciate the importance of um, the kids audience or or at least the theoretical importance of the kids audience what are maybe one or two sort of subtle traits of today's young audience that that so many companies or 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 players in this space get wrong or or maybe they just don't totally understand well i think i think one of them is is the drive to authenticity um, mm. and, and we probably say this about almost every generation but i think it's it's really come to pass right now that they are having been raised on digital media having been raised on mobile media having been raised on interactive media they are very quick to spot bullshit, to, to spot people who are trying to uh, manipulate or them or to be something that, that they aren't. And um, so creating for a new space while also trying to understand what the motivations and, and uh, gratifications are of that new space can be a really difficult thing to do. And we've seen people who've been very successful on a platform like TikTok uh, with incorporating their, their brand into it. And we've seen others who, who have failed miserably because they're really just uh, trying too hard. Um, and and for the, it's not a children's example, but one of my favorite Twitter accounts right now for general audiences is Stakeums, the, the flaked and formed steak, uh, you know, that you can use to make sandwiches from. Somebody who runs their account is very into media literacy and is very into um, sort of media consciousness. And the, the meta, not the small m meta of their Twitter account is both authentic and funny and uh, persuasive. And, and they are accomplishing their marketing goals in a way that, you know, with a great use of the platform. So that, that's one thing is, is the, the drive to authenticity. The other I would say is generations are getting smaller and you really, you know, this goes back at some level to the emotional scheduling I was talking about. You really have to target much more finely than you would have in the past. We, we talk about Gen X, Gen, Dead gen, uh, gen Alpha, but really we're in the middle of the TikTok generation now, which was preceded by the Fortnite generation, which was preceded by the Minecraft generation. You know, and and you, in different dimensions, you can you can pick very small, very two to three year groups that uh, um, that respond to their media environment, their technology environment, in quite different ways based on what the dominant uh, content and platforms are fascinating. Um, I always feel when we talk that we could talk for for many many hours, David. Um, we're, we're at some point maybe we'll we'll just do an entire season together. Um, 
let's let's look let's do let's finish off with a little bit of crystal ball gazing if you don't mind um your predictions for next year for 2022 which is um at the time of recording about three weeks away <laughs> um i'm always terrible at predictions i uh i think i would say rise of audio um mm -hmm. so back back to old school again that that between smart speakers getting smarter with young people and um families believing that that listening is different from again the term i hate screen time but but families perceive a difference um and the desire to maintain some of the social aspects uh, in families that have developed over over the pandemic uh audio podcasts um and and other forms of listening are, are really going to be popular in 2022 um similarly the one thing that will come that will remain even as we emerge from the pandemic is for years families have told us parents tell us i want more time with my kids kids tell us i want more time with my parents and it never seemed to happen until they were actually forced into it by the pandemic and then they discovered wait we really did mean this and we really do enjoy it uh going out for bike rides going for walks watching the the what, what my British colleagues call the, the shiny floor shows together, the, the competition shows and that. Um, you know, listening to, to audio together, cooking together, that's gonna gonna stick around. Um, that that they are going families will find ways to uh, to spend time together. Now the, the interesting thing about that is they've invested in a lot of subscriptions over the course of the pandemic to, to mm -hmm. build that family time. At some point, they're going to look at the bottom line of, of their budgets and say, oh, we're spending more on these things than, than I thought. So I, I suspect that while subscriptions will still be a dominant uh, financial model for kids media, for family media, there are going to be, a, we're going to about to engage in a real-time experiment or a real-time discovery of when parents say, I don't want my kids to see advertising. Do they really mean it, or do they really mean if it's between advertising and seven ninety nine a month? Maybe a few ads are are not not a bad thing. Um, and then the last thing is is not so much a prediction as just something I've noticed in in press lately, and and is very much related to the others, which is. Um, We've been saying for a while that, that when kids are truly liberated from the pandemic that they are going to put down their devices and really be hungry for in person uh, activities again to see their friends to be with their friends. And in fact, in, I've just seen articles recently saying that registration for youth sports clubs and things like that has been rising fast as we as we go into the winter and spring. So I think uh, kids are asking for it, parents are eager for it, there's going to be a lot more time spent in person. Well, that is a uh, rich tapestry of thoughts, predictions and indeed cliffhangers for next year, uh, David. Um, David Kleeman, SVP of Global Trends with Dubbit. Thank you so much for joining us on Kid Tech today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been wonderful.